Oh shit, tape heads. It's part two of Make Us a Mixtape with Rob Tannenbaum of the book I Want My MTV. If you haven't already, subscribe, review, share us, and tell your friends. Email us at paulmartymix at gmail.com if you want us to talk about something. But let's just get right into it, eh? I want to shift gears, Rob, and, and talk about the five moments that you found as like the most pivotal, I think you described as uh, most pivotal uh, videos uh, or influential videos. Yeah, I, I, I'd say significant in, in, you know, not certainly not politically significant, mm-hmm. uh, but just in terms, you know, within the conversation of the first decade of MTV, these are five songs that that but when you really, say first decade what years are we talking about 81 to 91 in your heart in your yeah that, that's sort of where we cut the book off yeah well, 91 92. there's not gonna be a part two of the, of the book with just all the reviews of jersey shore and things of that nature you know there there were people who suggested it but oh, it's it's not a story I care about. Yeah, I was just gonna say it's, it will be written, but you would probably be yeah. like, "Yeah." I would love to read an oral history of Jersey Shore. I, you know, a, a magazine. <laughs> yeah. Or it would be bonkers, but I don't want to write it. I don't want to talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a tough call. Then, then you kind of feel like uh, the people deciding when they have to play the heavy metal instead of REM, like you described about your friend. But, yeah, so the, the first video is Duran Duran. Um, and I cheated a little bit because it's three videos piled into one. Uh, the first video chronologically is Girls on Film, yes. which is, you know, it's, it, it's the video, it, it was made before MTV launched. So they, they made this to be shown in Europe. And, you know, there's nudity. There's a famous shot of the woman putting an ice cube on her nipple. MTV was not gonna play that. Uh, and so they played a heavily edited version of it. What Girls on Film did was uh, establish this precedent that videos were about objectification and sexy women. It was shown in a lot of rock clubs when they, you know, between bands, they would show videos. I just remember uh, my, bro- my older brother uh, had a friend who had that video on beta on Betamax and we were, uh, we found it and I remember watching it on repeat and I think that's when I discovered what <laughs> sex was. I didn't know yeah. what it meant yet, but I was like, this seems yeah. like something I would like in about seven we years. We call those like life altering videos on the podcast that mm-hmm. had made sexual awakening moments. If sexual you will. Yeah, that's what we call it. It was pre-sexual awakening <laughs> for me because I was like, why are they locking the door and watching this video? And then I was like, I bet you in seven years, I'm going to understand this. <laughs> You were Waldo. You were Waldo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the, the other two tiers of the, of, you said Rio and, uh, um, and uh, Save a Prayer, or what was the third? No, it's, so, so first is Girls on Film and then Hungry Like the Wolf. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Which is the start of let's film in an exotic location. Uh, the band went to Sri Lanka. They spent like $200,000, which in those days was huge. Uh, there are beautiful girls in it. There's the slow motion shot of uh, Simon Laban flipping over the table, yeah. which is like the first slow motion shot I I think MTV had ever used. But the the third video, which in some ways is the least interesting, is the most iconic, and that's Rio. Rio that's- is the video uh, that they shot in Antigua, and they're just 
playboys on a yacht wearing pastel colored leather and vinyl Anthony Price suits mm -hmm. and, and completely unsmiling, but obviously having a better time than you are. In some ways for horny 14 year old boys, that was an aspirational video, right? And Duran Duran spent years trying to live down being the band on the yacht. Yeah. I was having a discussion this morning in, in, in preparation for this conversation. Is it a yacht or is it just a sailboat? Because everybody says yacht, but yeah, it's no. like- I don't think it's, when I say, when we say yacht nowadays, we picture yeah. a yacht. That was like a very nice sailboat, I think. Wasn't that- these days, you can land your plane on. Yeah, chopper, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's gonna be a bunch of people in Mar-a-Lago in Florida <laughs> arguing with us right now, being like, God, these guys don't even fucking know the difference. <laughs> like, but I think that, um, isn't that the video where they like put a budget where they're like, well, we need to have, we need to have multiple boats. And then it was just cause one of the people, one of the producers or directors wanted to rent a boat in Antigua. Yeah. Yeah, that's-, that's so what, what's happened in the meantime, you know, the, um, so let me take a step back. When, when MTV begins, they go, the executives go imploring to record companies, please give us videos. Uh, and I, I know, like, I think we got 10 of them, but I don't know where they are. You know, let, get an interview. Yeah, or like bands they were probably gonna keep release or something out of their contracts. And they're like, oh, those weirdos made videos. Yeah, Devo, I guess, yeah. yeah. Well, that's true. And, and the, the bands that were visionaries pre-1981 got a lot of airplay in the early days. Um, you know, the first video was The Buggles, famously. Yeah. Um, but, but then, so the first couple of years, MTV was not very successful. Or they had no way to measure their success because, you know, the, their ratings were less than, less than zero. Uh, and... There's the story in the book that I'm sure you guys remember where a couple of the executives go to Tulsa, Oklahoma mm -hmm. and they go into a record store, you know, hey, what's going on here? What, what's selling? And the guy in the Tulsa record store says, we can't keep this Duran Duran band in stock. Well, there was no radio station in Tulsa playing Duran Duran. So you know, the light bulb went on over their heads and they race back to New York City and they start saying to all these labels, if you give us, if you make videos, you will sell more records. And they had proof of that. So that's when really the budgets start expanding. You know, now instead of, there was one early video, I think it was the REO Speedwagon videos. They were directed by the band's lighting director. <laughs> Nothing against lighting directors, but you know, it doesn't have any particular training for directing a, a little movie. Well, that uh, and so once the money started rolling in, yeah. then everything changed and budgets opened up. And it was so cool that it was like it was almost like a, a for like David Fincher and, and those types of directors. It was like such a cool you know like advertisement for them of like. I'll make this mini movie and it is kind of like my calling card now where I could be like, I'm the guy who did that. Cause you saw a lot of those videos got parodied. Like if a video was popular, if that was the hot video, 
just wait a couple months and everybody will have like the Bon Jovi wanted dead or alive or whatever yeah. with like the concert the footage road, yeah. and then ooh, I'm on my tour but I'm just like I'm touring it's so hard but I'm doing it for my fans like I love those videos they, they were memes videos were memes in a way the the thing about what you're talking about with the Tulsa situation is, is kind of funny because I had an older brother who would uh, buy albums. They listened to the radio with the, uh, you know, triple A station here is WXRT in, in Chicago. And they would get the albums of all these bands like, uh, you know, Psychedelic Furs, things like that, that, where there weren't a lot of videos. But I was a lot younger and I would get my music taste from MTV. We didn't have MTV, but all my friends did. And I remember those Duran Duran videos, Hungry Like the Wolf, Rio, Save a Prayer even, all those videos, like inspired me to become a Duran Duran fan, even though it wasn't like cool because it was like popular and it was more popular to like the police and like, and uh, you know, Foreigner or, or Ario Speedway. So they did have that influence and Duran Duran, I think was like the first band that was like, wow, like we can, MTV can control taste in a way. If you grew up in a house that had nothing but network TV, and then all of a sudden you had MTV. I, I mean, it didn't even seem like they were both television because they had nothing in common. Um, and yeah, you know, it, it, it showed kids how to dress. Um, it showed them for better or worse, you know, not caring is cool, being, being indifferent is cool. Um, the, you know, we mentioned the androgyny part, which, which was huge. Mm -hmm. Where else were gay kids in the Midwest or, you know, even in New York City going to find messages that androgyny was cool? Yeah, I loved a lot of those stories you'll hear of people who, like, went on vacation and the, the, the place they were staying or the hotel had MTV and they were like, I spent my whole vacation watching MTV. And my parents were like, but you go outside. It's like, no, 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 I have this MTV that I don't have at home. Uh, I have to watch this. Lenny Kravitz. He, yeah. He was on, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's he was it. On his parents. And yeah. Like, go outside. You know, we're in a beautiful, I think that maybe they're in the Virgin Islands. Yeah. It's beautiful. Go outside. No. I, I want to see that. Another hour to hear Hot for Teacher again or yeah. something like that. Well, that's the thing. Like, we, we didn't have MTV. So, like, I would look forward to going to my cousin's house because they lived, and like you said, the second markets, like, they lived in Joliet, Illinois. And those places, the cable companies were like, everyone got MTV. And in Chicago, it costs extra, or we couldn't get it in the suburbs where we were. So, I would look forward to going there because I would just sit and watch every video. Even if I, hated the song I would just wait it out I'm like oh it's you know three minutes is a lot of time for a kid but you still were like I don't like this but I'm gonna watch it because it's still like visually stimulating yeah now Rob with those early videos especially um when when and this is in the 80s when there was like things like satanic panic and a lot of these parents groups protesting everything I mean, MTV must have every day had some group coming at them of like, you can't play this during the day when my children are, you know, watching TV. They had a lot of like, I mean, they seem to have so many fires. That was just one of them of just like these parents groups or like the idea that some religious, you know, guy with a lot of clout can be like, you're not letting Guns N' Roses on MTV and MTV is like, okay, you're right. And then finally they're just like, we got to play these guys. Like, I'm sorry. Well, especially as MTV became bigger and started having, you know, national brands as sponsors. Like once you get Coke or Pepsi to advertise, everything changes. Because mm -hmm. now 
you're making your money by not pissing off Coke or Pepsi. Yeah. And so the videos were screened very heavily. You know, there were, there were artists and directors who used the word censored. Uh, MTV censored my video. MTV banned my video. Well, they didn't ban it. They just didn't play it. Uh, or they sent it back. You know, there, there was a conversation in the book where the person who's screening MTV videos, uh, you know, screening videos on behalf of MTV and has a dialogue with the record company, she thinks she sees a nipple at one point. And they have this, this fight with the record company. Is that a nipple or isn't it a nipple? Yeah. So uh, they were not going to take any chances by pushing the envelope in terms of sexuality. They would do it in other things, but you know, this is the United States. It's a puritanical country. You can get away with lots of stuff. You can get away with violence. You just can't get away with sex. It was funny how they, they were like the tastemakers in a way of what can be played and what will turn people away. And I think that's the next video that you talked about was the most shocking thing. One of the most shocking things for me that I learned was the, um, the fear of playing uh, Michael Jackson. Yeah. And uh, I think that's your next uh, significant video. Is that how you quote, did I quote it right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, it's significant because among other things, it saves MTV, like literally saves them from going out of business. And we're talking so, about the, the Billie Jean video by Michael Jackson. Uh, 82, 83, they were running out of money. I, I, you know, certainly, a, certainly by late 83, they were running out of money. And there were conversations like, maybe we can't keep doing this. You know, they'd already gone back to the board a couple of times and, and asked for more money. And I think there was a feeling that we, we can't do this again. You know, we've, they've reached the end of their checkbook. So they ran out of money. They couldn't get any more money from the mom and dad. Thank you. So they, there was, uh, you know, as a parallel story, there was this controversy, was MTV racist? And a lot of the people who worked at MTV came from AOR radio, FM radio, which was very strat stratified. You know, you heard... Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix was the only, just about the only black person you heard on FM radio. And so when they were defending themselves against uh, increasing accusations that they were racist, they would say, we, we, this is just the type of music we play. We play rock and roll. When black people give us a rock and roll video, we'll play it. The problem with that argument was then they were playing Wham! and Culture Club and Hall and & Oates, no, right. which is two white guys singing black music. Right. So now what's your excuse? Mm. Uh, and you know, fortunately for them, here comes uh, Michael Jackson, an extremely ambitious person who's very, you know, grew up in the business and understands emerging industry trends. And he knows that having a big video is going to be important for him. Now, this is where the biggest debates and arguments in the book take place. Right. Because everyone at Jackson's record company, his managers, they all swear that MTV refused to play Billie Jean. The guys at MTV, you know, and, and really his guys at that point, they swear, oh, that's, that's, bull I don't know, yeah. I swear. That, that's BS. Um, 
with the second we saw it, we loved it. It's, it's a he says, she says thing. Very it's good. hard to know for sure. Uh, I did some research and, you know, Billboard used to have a music video chart, which was only what MTV reported. It wasn't what they actually played. MTV didn't jump on this video early. They played it a little late and they played it in light rotation. You know, at least that's what they reported until the song started to catch on. The Billie Jean video was the fanciest, most professional, most expensive video anyone had made at that point. And its success, not only for, for Michael Jackson, but for MTV, it put them into the black instead of into the red. And it also showed them you know, the, the lesson, which was a lesson they were gonna learn again a few years later, yeah. was we can program black artists on this network. And you know, so you saw the Lionel Richie videos um, and some other videos as well. Donna Summer, I think, got some decent airplay. Oh, yeah. Well, here's the thing, when, and, that's, and like you said, it was one of those he said, she said moments and you guys gave everyone an opportunity to give their story. And like you went back and you look at the billboard, but one thing I didn't see in the book, and I don't know if you remember this, but when Billie Jean came out, I didn't have I didn't have MTV, but there was a thing called Friday Night Videos on like uh, MC, uh, on, NBC. On, on NBC. Did that also force their hand? Because no one used that as an excuse either. I didn't I, like I know that some of those places were playing that were playing Billie Jean, and I don't know the timeline matches up, but that's where I saw a lot of the videos for the first time. And then I'd go on the weekend to my cousin's house and I'd see it like five times more in, in an hour. But um, that's a that's a good point, because early on, when MTV is the only game in town, they can do whatever they want. They don't have to worry about any competition, but their success spawned, you know, not exactly imitators because there wasn't another network, but there was Night Flight on USA, um, Friday Night Videos. There there were a couple of other Right. Local, regional shows. So yeah, that, that puts some pressure on them because you don't want to lose an audience to your lesser competitor. You don't want to give your lesser competitor an opportunity to build up their brand equal to yours by playing something that you're ignoring. Yeah, and you mentioned the reason for VH1 was to, to combat uh, Ted Turner was going to come out with his own, you know, video. So it's like, let's get that taken care of. But one of the things with Michael Jackson, where it was like such a, when you read this book, there's those like, oh yeah, that, of course that happened. Like this idea that Michael Jackson just had a number at MTV and he would call and be like, you're not playing my video enough. Like, of course, these maniac musicians are like, wait a minute, I'll just call MTV, you know, and, and, or like Axl Rose being like, Hey, give my friend a, you know, let him host Headbangers Ball. All right, fine, come in for an audition and he comes with them. Like that that idea that these celebrities were like, yeah, I'm I'm like, I use MTV, they use me, but also I can like call them and be like, you need to do this for me. You need to play my video more. The, the artists, you know, their MTV had leverage over 90% of the artists. And then there were the 10% who had leverage over MTV. Yeah. Uh, someone in the book refers to Madonna rules. You know, there there were artists who felt that Madonna was getting away with things in her video that they couldn't get away with. Well, guess what? She's Madonna. Yeah, it's not all fair. Yeah, you know, you're you're bang tango. You don't get to do that. <laughs> 
the the thing about the Billie Jean video, and we talked about this on the podcast, I think last week or the week before, you look at that year, 83, uh, this guy, and I wasn't a Michael Jackson fan back then, but you have to respect the art and all the all the things he did to make that video. At the same time, or roughly the same time, you have Van Halen and the video Jump, where it looks like they just had one one camera and one, like, maybe 20 minutes. They're like, all right, you have 20 minutes. Go record David Lee Roth being an idiot and trying to make Eddie Van Halen laugh. And those are both, like, I mean, if that's not the epitome of white privilege, I, I don't know what the <laughs> fuck is. Like, it's just crazy. And again, I was a bigger Van Halen fan than than, Mike, than Michael Jackson. But, I mean, do these MTV guys, like, are they still standing by their story now? Or will they just be like yeah. on their deathbed, fess up and be like, all right, so we fucked up. Like, I don't, I don't know. When, when the book was over, uh, we heard from some people who didn't like how they were depicted. Uh, Steve Lukather from Toto, who, you know, gave a, gave a hilarious interview to yeah, Craig. His lines were funny. Yeah. You know, and, and came on, you know, he, he, he hated MTV. It's one of the great quotes in the book. I think we named the chapter for it. I may as well have lit $100,000 on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he sent an email, you know, I sent him a copy of the book and he sent back an email. He, he hated it. He hated the book, hated the way he came off. You know, Toto has sold 60 million records worldwide and nobody ever talks about that. Uh, some of the MTV executives, you know, it was a similar thing. Uh, there was one guy in particular, I, I won't name him because it's not fair, you know, it was a kind of a private conversation, but he's still mad that, that we told the other side of the story. He still insists, you know, it's at the point now where he could say, okay, yeah, you know, we, we, had, we had to have our arm twisted a little bit. Right. Um, they swear up and down that. <laughs> it can't, they can't even admit to saying, look, we fucked up, yeah. but it wasn't because of race. It was because we were worried about, you know, how it would translate in, in Alabama or whatever. Like, I just, I just, I, I find it fascinating that they would still hold their guns. I mean, I, and again, I, I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but it's like, come on. I think there was a point when the people who made the programming decisions there were just beleaguered. They were getting criticized from the left and from the right. Yeah, it was a thankless job. And they must have just felt like we, we can't please anybody. Well, I, I think that uh, the book does a great job of showing the, the sexism that was happening. And, 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 and like you said, we talked about earlier with the video directors just giving it to the, the, the young women and then letting that blow up. But one of the great things I think, which is the next uh, video you have is Like a Virgin by Madonna. And uh, obviously the significance of that for Marty and I is probably not appropriate for this <laughs> thing, but that was Please, definitely- go ahead. Look, <laughs> it, was definitely a, it was definitely a moment where I discussed, I mean, Like a Prayer for me was definitely um, an awakening, yeah. I would say. Uh, Cause back then we didn't have internet for those kids and the, the younger people that don't understand uh, that's that's what we did. I just it's, love the idea of any of these videos. Guys, guys, I, guys it's 2021. You can say you jerked off to Madonna. <laughs> oh, we often do. Don't worry, oh, yeah. we often do. We're keeping it classy for you. Yeah. But I, I love the idea 
of, you know, like one of my favorite memories of all time, and it wasn't MTV, but when I think it was on Fox or something, after like the Simpsons or whatever, they premiered the Madonna, like a, like a per video, and it was the big Pepsi tie. And I remember my parents just being like, this is not all right and everything. <laughs> and I love that idea, whether it's, you know, like a virgin, just it must have drove those people so crazy. The people that were all for censoring everything or whatever. And now in the middle of the afternoon, your kid could just turn on a TV and Madonna's <laughs> singing like a virgin. Like, to me, that is just hilarious. I think that's so funny. You know, like you mentioned the Like a Prayer video. Like a Prayer is a better video than Like a Virgin. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but Like a Prayer comes, I don't know, the, the, the peak of Madonna's commercial and artistic career mm -hmm. or close to the peak. Uh, and she had earlier videos that, that are pretty great. I think Borderline was the one with Jelly Bean Benitez where she uh, spray paints graffiti on a, a guy's yeah. race car. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and that was pretty great, too. To me, the, the significance of, of Like a Virgin, you know, there's the exotic locale again, right? They're in the canals of Venice, Italy. They spent a lot of money on the video. But mostly it's because that's the video that solidifies, that, that establishes Madonna as just a sexy top 40 superstar. Um, you know, the, the look, I, I'll admit the, the picture on the back cover of the second album where she's sitting in black and white, she's sitting on the bed rolling down her stockings. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I mean, I, I, you know, that, that I, I was old enough that it didn't change my life, but yeah. um, it inspired me. Yeah. At yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I didn't like her music uh, at that time. And uh, when this is, I'm talking about like a prayer time and when she was doing the, video but then I remember I had more pictures of her than I had of my favorite band in my room it was just I yeah. mean I know it's not right to objectify women now but I was 14 years old so it was okay <laughs> it was okay in the 80s to it yeah but like right next to you know the police was my favorite band Marty Marty doesn't like <laughs> the band but we're not going to get into that wow. right now but um police are the greatest band of all time um, but yeah, no, I, I think it was, it's just interesting with those, like you said, it must've been such a cool moment if you were a band and you're like, oh, now we, we don't have to complain about the Madonna rules. We get to use the Madonna rules towards our advantage. And it was, you know, seeing some of those bands and then they would push the envelope to where like a Madonna was like, oh shit, now I got to do more stuff, you know? And there was the big, the big, you know, debut videos of somebody, be it Michael Jackson or Madonna or, you know, Metallica or Guns N' Roses. Well, the, you know, the, talking about objectification, the Madonna video is different from the Duran Duran videos or the Warrant videos because it's a woman objectifying herself, which, you know, becomes a very significant argument in feminist conversations. If you exploit your looks and your beauty and your sex appeal, is that feminist or is it anti-feminist mm -hmm. uh, you know and this, this this madonna leads into camille paglia you know all sorts of conversations throughout the 80s about women and and femininity and sexism the three most people the people three most qualified to talk about feminism are <laughs> three white guys right here so. or two and a half white guys uh, i don't know what you, call it. you said that she was one of the um Artists that you wish you had. What was there a chance? That, were you guys waiting to hear back from her, or was she kind of like a never, never responded? You know, it, it's inside baseball. But um, Craig and I have both have very good relationships with Liz Rosenberg, uh, who 
you know, was Madonna's PR agent for years and years and years and possibly still is, uh, but I, I, I don't think so. And every couple of months we would call Liz and Liz is a person who doesn't have a problem saying no. She said no to plenty of people. Uh, and Liz would say, I'll ask. And we wouldn't hear back. And, you know, or she would say, it's just not the right time. She's busy with something else. And, you know, and then we either ran out of time or, you know, also decided that we were, we were asking out a woman who was always washing her hair on Friday night. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah. it was a soft no. Right. Yeah. How many, how many months, how many, you said every two months you call, was it like the third call where you're like, I think she's just giving us a, she's still shampooing. She's not that into us. Yeah. Was, was yeah. The well, speaking of objectifying women and uh, going in a different direction, your next video, uh, we've talked about this yeah. video quite often, uh, Hopper Teacher by Van Halen. We looked back on the video recently and there's so many subtle things in that that are really funny. And it was great in the book that you described when they did the video and and uh, at the end where uh, David Lee Roth is driving with the kids and he almost crashes <laughs> the hot rod. I mean, what like a matter of sec, a matter of, I guess, inches could have changed the projection of Van Halen and music videos in a lot of ways. I'm looking at it yeah. from a legal standpoint, but. It, you know, and, and it's in a way, Hot for Teacher is the apotheosis of objectification of women. You know, it, it's not just a woman, it's it's a teacher. Yeah, you know, you're and it's teacher. not just men, it's kids. Yeah. Kids right, are yeah. objectified. Right. Yeah. yeah. We gotta look up the word that you said about this, <laughs> but I, I think I know uh, what you uh, Pinnacle. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There you go, oh, okay, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Marty, yeah, 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 yeah. The top, the tippy top. I'll, I'll try to use smaller words. <laughs> smaller words. Yeah, I, I knew if I didn't know the word, Marty didn't know it. So I, I put context clues together, and I, I knew that it was like a real good thing. <laughs> that's why you're the that's why you're the veteran rock yeah. journalist, and we're not. So, so partly picking hot for teachers is a, is a tip of the cap to you know that that. Oh, sorry, I was going to say ignominious. Is that too? We've talked we, about we this. We know that word. We've talked about this. <laughs> but, eating potatoes it, here. It, it, it's the pinnacle of something ignominious. Uh, but also the video is just so clever yeah. and self-effacing. You know, you have the band doing this little choreographed dance routine, which they're just terrible at. In a great way. That was a pop-up video I remember seeing. And they're like, watch Dave Van Halen. He's the worst at this. <laughs> and everybody's kind of in motion. And he's like, well, what are we doing here? You can almost Alex. Alex, 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 Alex. Alex has no rhythm and he's the drummer. Yeah, he's the drummer, right. Um, you can almost see them like checking one another, like, what do I do now? Uh, and I'm sure it was not difficult choreography. Yeah. Maybe it's difficult if you've been drinking six packs of Schlitz since yeah. seven. Yeah, they're not exactly okay go in that video. <laughs> but then, well, but you know, but then they did have this idea of finding little kids who look oh. just like them. Wow. You know, and I love the fact that the kid who plays Eddie Van Halen is a girl. They, they couldn't find a boy who looked like Eddie. They had to use a girl. Yeah, I like yeah. the Michael Anthony character. The Michael Anthony's the best <laughs> it was, one. It's it was like <laughs> crazy. Yeah. So My Michael Anthony says in the book that um, by the end of the day or by the end of the shoot, 
the kid who was his double was, was acting just like him. You know, I think might have been smoking a cigarette and certainly was asking for beer. Was it Van Halen who had that contest where you could come party with Van Halen and that dude almost died? Yeah. He was yeah. like already sick or something and won this like come party with Van Halen. Yeah. He had like a brain injury or something. And it was like, he partied with Van Halen. Uh, you know, so his name was Kurt Jeffries and um, I interviewed him. It was, I think the only interview in the book where when it was over, I felt bad. Oh, wow. Um, and there was a, a little documentary that was made fairly recently in the last couple of years mm -hmm. uh, about Kurt. It's on YouTube, you guys. Yeah, I watched it right after I read, right after I read that chapter. You know, but the the band and MTV conspired in corrupting these two, you know, what were they, 17, 18? Yeah, yeah. one was it said definitely under 18. Nobody knew that Kurt had had a brain injury. Yeah. And, you know, he wasn't supposed to be drinking. And here they're just handing him bottles of Jack Daniels. And then, uh, I mean, there was in indications that he also did some drugs. Yeah, too, and, yeah. Hookers yeah. And, I mean... They, they tried to get him laid. They they yeah. sent a, a woman into uh, the dressing room, and you know there was something involving a shower. I don't remember right. yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly what it was. Wild times. But uh, that that video, and and it's funny because, and we did our our favorite videos, and one that didn't make mine was Jump because I liked Jump just because of the simplicity of it. Because every time they focused on Eddie Van Halen. He would just start smiling at the camp like it was such a shitty shitty video that it was strangely captivating whereas hot for teachers like i didn't really think anything of it until marty had started talking about it again we went back and watched it. i was like this is actually a really good video it's you great. can tell the fast times ending yeah. like yeah it's great very it's well so done great. um hot for teacher also is significant because it's one of the main videos that triggers tipper gore yeah. and to the PMRC, yep. Senate hearings, um, warning labels on records. You know, it's, it, it's not the only thing that led to that, but it, it was one of the songs that Tipper Gore singled out. I think she said, it scared my children. Well, I mean, if you have a son, trust me, that video didn't scare if, him. If you watch, if you do any research or watch any of those, uh, those PMC, uh, testimony, you know, when people are, whether it's, um, uh, you know, all the, all the musicians coming in or whatever, and you've got um, uh, Twisted Sisters, D. Snyder, who is just so funny with them, where he comes walking in full, like not full <laughs> Twisted Sister gear, but like, Enough. looks like a metalhead, looks like a dude who's into metal. And they thought they were going to just roast this dude and make him look like such an idiot. And he made Al Gore, you know, look so foolish, but it does talk about that panic at the time in the 80s of like kids are killing themselves because of these videos it's sexual but they were like claiming stuff I always think with that like if they would hire guys like us we could be like well here's the real sexual stuff they always get it wrong they always get the violence yeah. wrong and it's like because whenever anybody goes after wrestling when I was a kid I'm like that's all wrong but if they would have come to me I could have been like well here's what Vince McMahon said that you should really be focusing on but they they completely they were so out of touch, out of touch. Yeah. and the way they they like tried to attack MTV, it was so easy for them to just be like, that's not, that's not what we do. So uh, I had a, a short list or a long list for the five videos I was going to pick. And it was, it was going to be either Hot for Teacher 
uh, or wanted dead or alive, which you guys talked yep. about. Classic. Or, or it was going to be "We're Not Going to Take It" by Twisted Sister. Yeah. Which you know is is one of the earliest videos that has dialogue in it, plot, mm -hmm. a cameo. It, it, it's a real actor from a real movie that we knew. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought when a band when a band did an opening because like after the video had been out for a while, they cut all the intro and they go right to the video. But when a video first came out and it had like a little cinematic opening, I always thought I was getting like so much more for my value where I'm like, not only are we getting an Aerosmith video, but there's a whole weird story before it. Like I, I just blown away. I just watched a movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah. Loved, I love with the hot for teacher when they did the, the follow up, how much of an asshole the, uh, the actor was that played it. And he was like mad. He's like, I'll take it because he needs to go back home to like, to visit his family or something that wouldn't talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like there's one other funny thing about about Twisted Sister. Um, you know, they were a Long Island band before they got signed to Atlantic Records. They were a Long Island band for years and years and years. They just couldn't get out of the clubs. And if you're about my age and you grew up listening to to radio in the New York City area, Twice an hour, you heard advertisements for some twisted sister. So I never knew anything about them. You know, I didn't really follow metal and I didn't live on Long Island. But it was just, it, to, to those of us from the East Coast, it was weird because suddenly this band has just been lingering for 10 years. They're superstars. Yeah, right? we, we have bands like that in Chicago that played all the festivals. And I assume it would be like that. You're, you're just like, Oh, they're like the biggest band in the world. Like they're huge now. Like that's crazy. I could have saw them at like this music venue by my house. They're there every weekend. It's you know without fail. The Twisted Sisters on the bill. For people from Cleveland, it's the Michael Stanley Band. What? what oh, okay. What do you mean you've never seen the Michael Stanley Band? They're superstars in Cleveland. Yeah, like I don't know, man. I don't know who you're talking about. I'm sorry. We, we have a local H. Yeah, yeah. A local H is ours. Where it's oh, like they played every. H festival and everything yeah. scott lucas is uh is on every show even during the quarantine he managed to have a show huh yeah he's great well you're talking about we were talking about parents not uh getting it right um and that brings us to our last video which you put as uh parents just don't understand right well they, it, it, i'm gonna cheat again because i i want to talk about two videos um you know so we we talked about ted demi ted demi was an intern. Um, a lot of the history that was made at MTV was made by interns. And you know, that was one reason why people said to us over and over again, it was the best job I ever had. Yeah, you hear that a lot in the book. If you were 22 or 23, you could be in charge of stuff. You could be in charge of production within 18 months. You know, it's a little bit like in the, the old Hollywood movie where I get you kid, come here. Yeah. You know how to run a spotlight? You, you know how to run a camera? And so Ted Demi just keeps, you know, this white kid uh, who loves hip hop. And, and also Peter Dougherty, who uh, gave us a great interview and was a lovely, lovely guy and has since died. Uh, so I want to make sure he gets credit also. But, you know, was the, what the executives remember was Ted every single week. Can I do a rap show? Can I do a rap show? Can I do a rap show? And one of the things that warms them up, that warms up MTV, is the Walk This Way video, which comes out in 1986. 
So it's a collaboration between Aerosmith, who recorded the original song, and Run DMC. Uh, Walk This Way was a breakbeat that Run DMC had been using for years, but they didn't even know who it was. They just knew it was this song called Walk This Way. And in the video, I mean, it's so artless. In the video, they literally knock down the wall. Yeah, very subtle. Run DMC and Aerosmith. And then, you know, they kind of stare at one another a little bit and, and they rock the hell out. So MTV played that, you know, and, and it was a way for them to say, oh, we're not racist. We play these guys run DMC. We play the run and the DMC. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, they, play, they played it because Aerosmith was in it. Parents just don't understand um, Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. That's a significant video because it's so safe. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a colorful video. And I mean like literally colorful yeah. video. Uh, it's a cute story song. Yeah, It's got Will Smith, you know, who nobody knew it at the time was gonna become one of, if not the biggest movie stars of all time. Um, it's, you know, it's got a sense of humor. It's a little bit self-effacing and MTV is able to program this again as a way of, here's some hip hop music, but Pepsi isn't going to get upset at it. Uh, the video comes out in 1988, I think spring 1988, but I'm not sure. Yo MTV raps, you know, no one could really remember the exact date, but it's sort of August 1988. And Parents Just Don't Understand is one of the first, uh, was one of the videos that's in the original show. Now, you, you probably remember this from the book. MTV finally said to Ted Demi, okay, fine, shut up, do your rap show. We're gonna, and we're going to put it on at two o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday. Yeah. Well, everybody wakes up the next day and they get ratings. They get the ratings report. And it's not just the biggest overnight audience MTV has ever had. It's one of their biggest shares ever. So again, they, you know, they are forced to learn this lesson. We can put Black people on MTV and it won't scare our white viewers. Uh, And, you know, and there ended up being, I think it's, 1,830 episodes of Yo! MTV Raps. It was on every weekday. It was on on, once on the weekends. They repeated it. I think Fab Five Freddy said to me they wanted to do a show on Saturday and a show on Sunday. And I told them, no, that's just too much. (laughs) I love the, there's so many stories in MTV about like the middle of the night video that got all the phone calls or the middle of the night show that was like, I guess we had, and then and it almost is their force because they know they're going to make money. So it makes the decision a little easier if they're like a thousand people called at one in the morning when we played Welcome to the Jungle. Like, I think we need to play these guys. And with, with Yo! MTV Raps, I remember, I, I talked about it on the podcast, I had summer school and then I would come home, perfect timing, Yo! MTV Raps would come on. And I just remember watching that being like, what they were all just every video was after video after video I was blown away by and I know there are a lot of cheesy ones now you watch but like I mean I even like the like they're playing basketball video I just thought like all these old videos are just so cool and then we start to get into like gangster rap and I was like 
take all my money. I'm so into, <laughs> I'm into all of this. Cause my, one of my videos was fight the power. Cause I saw fight the power and I'm like, what is, this is crazy. Like to me, it just, I told Paul, it was like the most black people I've ever seen on my TV at one time. And you see this whole other world out there from MTV Raps. That's the power of mass media, really. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Guns N' Roses. Yeah, I, I think it was Welcome to the Jungle, yep. which was the video. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, it's, it's funny to remember. I, I, I was writing something the other day, and, and I, I said that um, you can sell a lot of records by imitating the sound of yesterday, but you can only sell millions and millions of records by ignoring the zeitgeist and remaking it in your image. From the Beatles to um, you know, Madonna and certainly Guns N' Roses. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like now Guns N' Roses are famous. When that record came out, it seemed like just another hair metal band. Yeah. And it got, it got no attention, certainly no radio airplay. Rolling Stone didn't even review it. Yeah. When it came out. I mean, that's... But the... And there was one person, I, I can't remember, I wish I remembered who it was, but I don't. There was one person at MTV who believed in Guns N' Roses. And it's a little bit like the Ted Demi story. You know, okay, fine, shut up. Yeah. We'll play 2 a.m. Literally, and, the, same, the same thing happens with Nirvana, where a woman's right. like, play this video, fire me if it bombs, but I guarantee this will be huge. Right. And the thing with, and like what you said with Guns N' Roses, that we, t I had, uh, You Could Be Mine as one of my top videos because I was late to the Guns N' Roses game. I thought they were just a hair metal, hair metal band or hair metal band. And then, um, then I spent time with Appetite and I was like, this is a great, great album. And then I'd watch the videos again and I was like, wow, like there's so much going on in these cool videos. And then, um, then of course, one in a million came out. I was like, maybe these guys are dicks. <laughs> I felt like Paul, I felt like when, cause for me, I loved Yo! TV Raps, but I also loved Headbangers Ball. And I loved 120 Minutes. I loved those like fringier yeah. shows. And I, I was so proud of my bands when they came off 120 Minutes or off Headbangers Ball or Yo! TV Raps and became like mainstream. household mainstream names. It, it, it felt so, it felt like <coughs> me, it was almost like picking like an athlete when they came out of high school and you're just like, they've always been my guy and then they, they succeed and it's just such a cool feeling. Or someone you see play in the minor leagues. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden you're like, they're the biggest band in the world. See, I was I was the opposite. I'd get upset when when they'd sell out. I'd be the, I'd be the guy that, like, now everybody knows that's that. next that's like you go <laughs> proud to like hey yeah. i don't like that everybody likes my band yeah i was the opposite i got really mad when bands got bigger and uh i like their early work better yeah yeah I their early that. videos better i was the music insider that was like well you really need to go appreciate uh the bends by radiohead or whatever so with our last we talked what's the last song that was the last, last song that yeah was that was prince was another guy too where it was just like your parents would be like, I remember my, my cousin, her bedroom, wall-to-wall prints, and my dad was just like, I can't believe my brother lets her have all those Prince posters up. And it was another gender bender, like him in the bathtub. My dad just couldn't deal with that photo. The, the Prince stories in the book are, are pretty crazy. Um, after he died, Craig and I thought, we even wrote a proposal. This time we wrote a proposal for an oral history of Prince. Um, but it became clear that you know, there were eight other people working on Prince books and there would be a, a, a glut of them. 
But one of my favorite stories in the book is um, there's a, a producer who goes to Prince's house for a meeting. You know, they're gonna meet about a video and Prince is hours late. And he comes out of the bedroom and he's wearing a red high heel shoe on his right foot and a yellow high heel shoe on his left foot. Okay, you know, these guys have seen a lot of weird things, right? So he's just like, that's ah, just another day at the office. And they're talking to Prince and then he says, oh, will you excuse me for a second? And he goes into his bedroom and 20 minutes later he comes out and now he's got the red shoe on the left foot and the yellow shoe on the right foot. It's just, it's so bizarre and inexplicable and random and it means nothing, but it's like, that's the eighties. Yeah. The eighties is having a red shoe on your right foot and a yellow shoe on your left foot. Right at the time that we were finishing the book, um, I'm, I'm not a huge Adam Ant fan, but I think I just happened to hear it on the radio or it might've come up on shuffle. Uh, and one of his songs, he, he sings, ridicule is nothing to be scared of. And, you know, we made that a, a chapter title because that's, in a way, you know, if you had to boil the book down to a, a, a sentence, that's it. Ridicule is nothing to be scared of. Yeah, I feel like a lot of bands would sort of follow the leader, like you said, where it's like you could sell some albums if you do, you know, the popular sounds and and one of the things that I loved about MTV was people did go away and with, with social media and stuff, nobody goes away anymore unless they really actively go out of their way to go away. Or they um, could permanently go to wait. Yeah, yeah, or, they, or society tells them to go away. Um, but I, I think it was just interesting when you would see people and it was, they were either doing something new, uh, which was always awesome, or that when people came back kind of following the trend, I remember as a kid being like, this is lame. I, 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 I'm pretty sure I figured it out. I can't quite put my finger on it, but like something about this is lame. And whether it was somebody like wearing a flannel or, you know, like now all of a sudden, yeah, now all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> I love hip hop. What do you, you know, or they have the hip hop artist on the song or whatever. And it's like, I know what you're doing. There seemed to be a lot of that of like follow the leader or whatever. Well, when, when rap came out, it was, I thought I, I've talked about this on the podcast before where I was like oh this is a passing fad and you'd hear Getty Lee rapping and roll the bones uh, on a rush song and you're like this is weird why are they doing this and then and then it just it just kept going and growing and then UMTV raps made me be a lot like Marty I got into gangster rap I was like this is amazing but yeah. um, at first I thought it was a joke you know with like Tone Loke and like Funky Cole Medina and stuff like that I'm like these guys are just they're just jokesters there's still people, uh, you know, David Crosby is one of them. It's not music. It's just talking over drums. Well, I mean, you know, that's stupid. Yeah, I think, uh, and then sort of uh, wrapping things up a little bit, uh, we'll go to sort of the death of the, of the, the music video in TV Guide era. Um, and you'd mentioned, and this is, again, this is like great info for people who are like, why don't they just play videos all the time? I mean, there's numerous reasons, but for the time being, when they were, uh, transitioning sort of from all videos to some of these shows, they put out remote control and they start to realize like, oh, we can make these low budget shows and more people tune in than just waiting around for their, you know, to see the Madonna video again. When, when we talk to people about what do you miss about MTV? Uh, could it ever be done again? Person after person after person slammed Jersey Shore. 
now, you know, this was 11, 12 years ago. It was one of the biggest shows in the world, but it was almost like people thought um, Jersey Shore had ended music videos, yeah. but it didn't. I mean, it, it's really, it's sort of the real world mm -hmm. that ends music videos. Um, you know, the, um, the game show, they kind of incorporated videos into it, yeah. right? You know, yeah. It, at the end, you had to name all your videos. That was the big finale. Yeah. You had to go around that big wall and name all the videos. It seemed like a natural extension of mm -hmm. playing videos. But the real world, no. It's got nothing to do with anything we do, except that, you know, it, it does because what MTV realized was we're not a music channel. We're a youth culture channel. Yeah. And music video is only one part of youth culture. Youth culture is changing and we have to change too. Uh, there, are, there were people, you know, God. I, at one point I was keeping track of the number of MTV is dead stories that I read. You know, some of them from like 1983 and MTV is passe now. Um, and, you know, and certainly around the time of before Jersey Shore, you can find, you know, lots of MTV is dead articles. Well, then they found Jersey Shore. Now, I'm not so sure. Now I think, you know, I think they might, I think MTV might be dead. Yeah. But look, it has nothing to do with me. They have nothing that I'm the least bit interested in. There was, I, I know that there's a show where um, a uh, a bunch of morons look at videos like slapstick videos and they all laugh about it. Ridiculous. It's ridiculousness. Yeah. 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 A lot of shows like that. Have you watched have you watched any of the recent VMAs? I think I usually watch it. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I've tried to watch and I'm just like, oh, this is just not for me anymore. Um yeah. it's wild. Like I, I kind of I kind of say like if you watch Saturday Night Live and you don't know who the the guest is and the musical guest, like that's like, uh-oh, you're getting out of touch, you know? And with v the VMAs, I'm just like, I don't know who any of these people are yeah. or whatever. I imagine now if there was MTV the way we knew it or sort of at the tail end, it would be like a lot of K-pop bands on like, you know, dial-in TV or um, um, what is TRL. TRL and stuff like that. like. But again, like you said, it's just like, I look at it now and it's just, and they play reruns of like weird shows that weren't on there. It's just a different network. There were people who were nostalgic for MTV. And, you know, there, there was a lot of, con I, I wish it would come back. And then there were people who said it, it can't come back. Mm -hmm. And in a way it doesn't need to come back because all those videos are on YouTube. If you want to watch it, go watch them on YouTube. And when people would say to me, uh, I, I wish those videos were back, you know, okay, when was the last time you went on YouTube and looked at a video? Well, I, I don't really, right. Yeah. Because they weren't nostalgic for MTV or music videos, they were nostalgic for their youth. Yeah, yep. and that's the thing, uh, you know, I was talking to Marty earlier, I was in Florida for a, a period of time and uh, they do have a music video channel but the videos that were coming on, I didn't know any of the artists. And it was it was kind of like an MTV where it would go from like, you know, these like boy bands and then they'd go to this like emo band or what I thought was emo band. I'm like, what is going on? What am I watching? And it was like a, a local 
MTV show, but I, it was it was crazy. And I was like, I don't see how I would ever do this as an adult. As a child, it is your it is your youth that you're you're longing for. And it's like we're we're not gonna get that back as much as we try. Right. Yeah. I don't think us as a culture too will sit through five videos we don't yeah. like to get to the one we do. Like that's just not our in our DNA anymore. We want everything the way we want it. And it's like the idea that I have to sit through four or five videos and commercials to get to my videos. Like can't expect people to do that nowadays. And you mentioned YouTube. Oh, go ahead. People make their own programming. They really do because I, I'll go on YouTube and I'll, I love watching old videos and new videos on YouTube. And I'll see one and I'll go, oh, this looks interesting. I'll look and it'll have like 58 million views. And I've never heard of this band. They're great, the video's awesome. I've never heard of them, but 58 million other people have. So it's like, people are getting their music one way or another. Mari just learned who Justin Bieber was last no. week. So <laughs> no, there are some like legit videos with so many views yeah. that you're just like, I've never heard of this band. And you can look and see they're touring and it's like, they're doing some of the, they're like, you know, before Corona, they were doing like smaller music venues. So it's, it's still out there. It's like, but like you said, you just want to be on your couch in your basement, you know, taken back to that, that time or whatever. And, and I think that's one reason, you know, look, I, I, I'm, I'm very pleased that you guys enjoyed the book so much. Uh, but I also know that a lot of the enjoyment that people have about the book, it, it's not about the book, it's just about that time of their life. Uh, you know, so are we guilty of exploiting uh, <laughs> sad nostalgia? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, the check's cleared. <laughs> yeah, no, it was good. It wasn't a, it, I don't think it was like a, I don't think it was an easy payday or anything like that. The research was awesome. Yeah. Uh, so many stories that I find myself quoting to other people yeah. and uh, this podcast, we've, we've talked about it so much. So uh, congrats on an awesome book. It was, yeah. I'm sure it was tough. I would assume you probably felt like a maniac with all these, like I, I pictured that your setup was like, these little quotes all over and, and just like, wait, didn't someone say something about, about a Ted Demi? We got to find that clip. And you're just like pouring through all these old interviews and stuff. Uh, let me just say uh, in the, in the end notes of the book, we thanked a number of products. I think Craig thanked Diet Coke. Mm -hmm. uh, I thanked Scrivener, which is a, a software program that is like a super advanced version of Microsoft Word. And I, we could not have done this book without Scrivener. Yeah. Interesting. Oh yeah, here I see it right here. And, and Valium and Wellbutrin, you also thank. Yes. <laughs> Very cool. uh, Rob, before we get cut off, thank you so much for, uh, yeah. for doing the show. I can't wait for the WWE book. I, I'll have to bother you about that. Uh, please, please come back. If you, yeah. if you want to come back and you want to talk more about anything music related, we'd love to have you back. Uh, where can people find out more about your stuff and, and what you're doing coming up? You know, I, I guess on Twitter, um, Tannenbaum R on Twitter. There was already an R Tannenbaum and a Rob Tannenbaum. Wow. Fuck those guys. <laughs> well, thank you to the real Rob Tannenbaum for being on the uh, on the show. Yeah. And uh, thank you so much, Rob. We appreciate thank it, Rob. Thank you. Well, Margaret, this was a lot of fun. Thank you.